I'm Dr. Nathaniel Chin, and you're listening to Dementia Matters, a podcast about Alzheimer's disease. Dementia Matters is a production of the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. Our goal is to educate listeners on the latest news in Alzheimer's disease research and caregiver strategies. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Dementia Matters. According to the Dietary Guidelines for Americans, adults of legal drinking age should limit their alcohol intake to two drinks or less in a day for men and one drink or less in a day for women. Now, if you're one of my clinic patients and over the age of 65, you'll hear me mention the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism Guidelines, which recommend people, male or female, drink no more than seven drinks per week and not more than, one, not more than two in one single day. Most people might interpret these guidelines as safe levels of alcohol consumption, but more and more research is telling us even these moderate levels of alcohol use have negative consequences for health and pose an increased risk for some diseases. My guest today is here to talk about his recent research that found even one drink a day can shrink your brain. Remy Davier is an assistant professor of marketing at the Wisconsin School of Business who uses machine learning and artificial intelligence to understand large data sets. Thank you for joining me today on Dementia Matters. It's a real pleasure to be chatting with you today. Let me start by saying your results are not welcomed by many people, but since they are so important for us to understand, let's, let's really jump into this. Where did the idea for this study come from and how did you actually, you and your team work on this, this project? So it started with a very different objective. I, I do some neuroeconomics. That was my specialization into uh, during my PhD, along with computational statistics. And so I was looking to find patterns in the brain that will be associated with drinking, but find a causal link in the other direction. Like what different patterns are linked to more drinking using uh, instrumental variables uh, based on genetics. So if people might be more favorable to drinking, see if, if we could identify part of the brain that will lead to drinking. And the issue is that it seems that alcohol might have such a strong effect on the brain and so so early in consumption that it drones all the signal I had from my statistical method to try to identify the reverse pattern. And so my, my research, my original project didn't work out the way I wanted. But when I talked to uh, people who are more specialists of uh, brain and addiction, the, the other people on the, who joined the team, uh, they thought that would that was actually really interesting and so that's how we pursued that project that's interesting so this is a, an incidental finding that was really quite remarkable and kind of put you on a new path exactly well the scientific research on alcohol consumption can be really confusing particularly for the general public on one hand there are studies that show that some alcohol can be good for the heart or help lower the risk of diabetes particularly in women but then on the other hand, there are studies that show even minimal alcohol use will increase the risk of cancer. And now your study about the very serious associations between alcohol and brain changes. So before we get to the actual results of your, your publication, when you're with other people, how do you suggest they balance all of these conflicting messages? <laughs> well, I, I can first present it as a good news. The good news is that up to one drink a day, we don't find any effect even in a very, very large sample. So you can drink one bottle of wine per week and we don't detect any difference in the brain. So that's, that's a good news, I think. Now, for above this uh, consumption, 
uh, even though we don't really have a causal effect identified, we have strong suspicion, let's put it like that, you will have to drink two small glasses every day of the week to reach the level where we find that there is some negative association. And even though at this level, the equivalent in age, we put it at two years, but two years in brain age is not that much. I don't think my brain is very different from what it was two years ago. I don't know how you feel about, about yourself, but on that scale of time is, is not, I wouldn't be too worried. However, when you go above this, so you start uh, drinking three units or four units, four small gl glasses every day, because the effect is exponential, that's where we start seeing really strong magnitude in terms of the association. And that's when I'm, I, I would be more worried. The good news about that, again, is that if you just cut the last glass, you might cut the effect uh, in half if there is an effect. So it's easy to, you don't have to stop drinking. Just removing the last glass is where you have actually the, the strongest potential benefits. And that, that that's a great teaser because I am going to ask you about more of these specifics of how much and at what point. But your paper also mentioned something that I think is really important for our listeners to hear. And you talk about gaps in research. And one of them being that many, stu many studies look at alcohol use disorder, so actually having a medical problem, uh, and not really directly at mild users, so recreational use. And the other gap that you identify is that there's a lot of other potential factors that could be influential when you study the impact of alcohol on health. And you list things like age, sex, uh, body mass index, and even your genetics. So were you able to account for any of these kind of gaps or factors in your particular study? Yeah, we tried to control for a lot of things. First, about why we went into moderate consumption and not just uh, heavy, heavy drinking or use disorder. I think it's very difficult to study because brain scans are very expensive. And until we had this database uh, provided by the UK Biobank, it would be almost impossible to to have the funds to do a study with enough sample size that is large enough to detect small changes like this, right? Brain imaging is blurry. You have to align them. You have to, to, to put it through a whole process to try to find exactly what's the size of each part of the brain. So that's kind of new that we are allowed to do this kind of research. And that's why we are starting to fill the gap. Now, the, in terms of uh, controls, yes, we control for genetic ancestry and uh, for other things like presence of ADH1B, uh, var genetic variation that will change the way alcohol is uh, metabolized in the body. Age, sex, uh, we did uh, several studies where we looked for linear effect, nonlinear effect, interactions, all these kind of things to try to be as thorough as possible. Um, the other issue with this type of research is that you cannot experiment. You cannot take a group and split them randomly and say, hey, you're going to drink four glasses a day just to see how it affects your brain. So that's why it's very difficult to identify a causal effect. And we can only have uh, some kind of association where these other variables might give the wrong interpretation if, if there is other causal patterns involved. One other question I have for you before we get to the results is, is there an effect of alcohol consumption and interaction with just getting older? It is hard to say because the magnitude of the interaction is very small. And given that we have very large sample and not able to confirm for sure that there is an interaction, uh, I wouldn't be concerned about this. I think that's good for people to know that our, as we're all aging, especially if you're a retired person, that doesn't seem to have a particularly strong interaction when it comes to one's health. But now with all of that, 
context provided, I'd really like to start with the end conclusion from your paper and then backtrack to see how you got there. So then what did your results show in this publication? So the results shows that if you take two persons, same age, same sex, same head size, same genetic ancestry, the one drinking a large glass of beer uh, or wine every day or two small glasses, um, and I do mean every day, not once in a while, this person has an, on, a, on average a brain with a bit less uh, of gray matter and white matter. If we compare this reduction with normal reduction of brains that happens with aging, uh, that's equivalent to two years of aging at 50 years. Uh, so that's not that large. Your brain is not that different from what it was two years ago. However, if you go beyond this limit for each small glass you add, we can see that the difference is larger and larger. And so for four units, now it's not just two years, it, it's 10 years, the difference inside of the brain in terms of uh, equivalent aging. Wow. Okay. So I have a couple of responses to that. So Remy, as a geriatrician, two years of cognitive brain health, it can be significant to people. You're a young person. And so I can appreciate it. you don't feel any different than you did two years ago, but someone in their uh, 70s and 80s might tell you they might feel it, but two years. So, so that's what one drink a day, one large drink a day, leads to two years of sort of accelerated aging compared to people who don't drink. But I, I appreciate your second point, which is that more than that, exponentially, your brain is shrinking at 10 years, perhaps, depending on how much more. So it's a pretty significant change. Yes, it, it is significant. And concerning your uh, point about two years being not that large uh, or being large, depending on where you are, that's true. The effect of aging uh, by itself appears to be linear. So every year past 45, you lose uh, approximately the same volume of gray and white matter. Uh, maybe there is a threshold at which uh, when you, you reach that threshold, you become able to notice it uh, a lot more. And that's where maybe you might find that the observable effect of drinking uh, more alcohol and interacting with age, they, they might be more noticeable, even though the in terms of brain shrinkage, they might be just the same as they were before when you were younger. Once you have this threshold of a lower amount of gray matter, you might see that you start you know, forgetting things that happened recently where you put your keys, what you've told, what you've ate yesterday, these kind of things. Yeah. So the tipping point kind of theory that, as you've said, at 45 and on, it's a linear change, but there could be a tipping point where you start to actually notice that change more. But how did you how did you come to these findings? I mean, you use some brain imaging. So can you tell us what you looked at and how you came to these conclusions? Yes. So the UK Biobank is a large project that was uh, started by public institutions in the UK where they decided to take a lot of people, so we have 500,000 people, and do an extensive uh, medical checkup and get their genome sequenced. And then among those, they started doing brain scans. And so we had a, this large sample of, sample of 30,000 people with brain imaging. And uh, once we have this large sample, and we also have alcohol consumption and dietary consumption, all these kind of things, uh, we thought it would be interesting to start uh, looking at, at these brain scans so we kind of uh, align them or uh, we make the brain comparable. And then we try to see differences among people because brain differs. So you, you have first to 
make them in a, standardize them so that they can be compared. Then the part of the brain is kind of uh, cut into different parts so that we know, you know, which part is the hippocampyle and what part is a prefrontal, prefrontal cortex. So we have the volume of gray matter in that part of the brain, the volume of white matter uh, between parts of the brain because they are acting as uh, connections uh, for uh, transmitting signal. What part is just liquid? And once we have all this data, it's a matter of trying to find statistical associations by using, using statistical techniques. And it was through that that you were able to come to this conclusion of a drink a day leading to two years of accelerated kind of aging and then even more with more drinking. Yes, exactly. So because we have so many people, we can really you know compare people by groups of drinkers. So people who don't drink, people who drink up to one drink a day, people who drink up to two drinks a day. And we had a lot of people in each of these groups, a bit less in the very uh, heavy users, uh, but still enough to detect effects because we were, uh, or detect associations, because they become so strong, basically, at some point. So it's hard to miss. And so were there certain parts of the brain that were more impacted than others based on what you were looking at within the brain scans? Overall, the effects might vary slightly across part of the brain, but I would say that the big picture is that it's everywhere uh, in the same direction by about the same amount. Well, I think that's an important finding too. Um, so it is, it's really affecting our entire brain and not just our language or our memory or our attention. So I think a question that our listeners are, have probably already been asking as we've been talking is how are you defining alcohol consumption? And can you explain what a unit of alcohol is in terms of beer, wine, and hard alcohol spirits? So it's, it's a bit variable across beers because you can have a very light beer or you can have a very strong beer. Uh, so for the average beer, a pint uh, or a can that's half a liter, the large can, will be two units. For wine, in America, the, the standard glass of wine is uh, almost twice as large as what you would have in Europe. So 175 milliliter, about five ounces, it's, is two units. And then uh, shot of spirit, the standard shot is 25 milliliters. That's uh, one unit of alcohol, uh, one unit of alcohol for this study, uh, as we count them in Europe. So you can see, uh, be careful if you look at guides in the U.S. or in North America in general, sometimes what they call one unit for them is what we call uh, two units based in Europe. So your study found that one or, or two units per day led to the two years of accelerated aging? Two units. So that will be uh, for the U.S. Uh, one pint of uh, standard beer that's around you know six or seven percent. Or even a standard glass of wine. Yes, also a standard glass of wine would would match this two units description. Yeah, and and I mean, let's not forget that people do what's called a home pour and they drink more than what is considered <laughs> a standard glass. So I think that's just really important for people to recognize that this this is these are small quantities of alcohol, and even these small quantities have led to changes on the brain scans that you were reviewing. So then I guess for me, as someone in a clinic, you know, it'd be interesting to know how these individuals that you studied perform on actual cognitive testing and if the changes you saw in the imaging actually had relationships to these performances. But I guess I'm wondering from your perspective, what are the next steps with this type of work? So what is difficult is, is that uh, if we're really looking at uh, just brain effects or, or association with uh, brain anatomy, 
we need large samples to to look at this and we don't always have you know these large sample and also psychometric tests of uh, cognitive performance or other kind of tests we we might start to look at that because i know there is some data available otherwise the alternative will be to uh yes to be on a purely uh psychometric or behavioral dimension and then try to associate uh, alcohol intake with with these outcomes i i would be curious actually to hear if uh, you or your audience have ideas about how to run this uh, and control for all the potential confounds and and uh, reverse causality and all the issue you might run it uh when you run this kind of studies. Yeah, it's certainly not an easy study to do, but I think you're really onto something, even if we may not necessarily like the results that you're coming up with, at least we know they're, they're valid. My last two questions for you are, one, did the findings of this study cause you to stop drinking? And two, regardless of that answer, what do you do to promote brain health after studying so many brains on imaging scans? So it didn't really change my drinking habits because I was already below two units per day. I might have two units in one day, but that happens uh, every two weeks maybe. So I'm not too concerned about that. Now, what I will advise people, I'm I'm not uh, the best specialist. I I do as everybody else. I read the literature about this uh, to to make my decision. So if if you keep keep a healthy lifestyle, I feel that's the answer to everything not just brain health but health in general keep using your brain (laughs) don't let it go basically and uh, the more you use it the healthier it it will stay when i look at the association between age and brain shrinking for a group of individuals in the same age within a, a sex there is large variations so you have people who are 80 year old with brain that are they look as young as a 50 year old and you have people who are 50 year old who have a kind of age brain who are already uh, like an 80 year old brain so i i am hopeful <laughs> that it's possible to keep a young brain even as we are aging i think that's a nice way of ending there is a lot of variability and age is merely a number at times so with that uh, thank you, Remy, for, for being on this podcast and sharing with us the findings of this very interesting study. Uh, that was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Dementia Matters. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts to be notified about upcoming episodes. You can also listen to our show by asking your smart speaker to play the Dementia Matters podcast. And please rate us on your favorite podcast app. It helps other people find our show and lets us know how we're doing. Dementia Matters is brought to you by the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. The Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center combines academic, clinical, and research expertise from the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and the Geriatric Research, Education, and Clinical Center of the William S. Middleton Memorial Veterans Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. It receives funding from private, university, state, and national sources, including a grant from the National Institutes of Health for Alzheimer's Disease Centers. This episode of Dementia Matters was produced by Rebecca Wazaleski and edited by Kaylin Rowerdink. Our musical jingle is Cases to Rest by Blue Dot Sessions. 
To learn more about the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center and Dementia Matters, check out our website at adrc.wisc.edu. That's adrc.wisc.edu. Follow us on Facebook at Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center and find us on Twitter at Wisconsin ADRC. If you have any questions or comments, email us at dementiamatters at medicine.wisc.edu. Thanks for listening.